Hello and welcome or welcome back to Marked Out for Fruitfulness. This is talk number 14 and today we find ourselves in Mark chapter 5. And my goodness, what an action-packed episode we have before us now. It's got lots of detail. It suggests that in the writing of this chapter there's a lot of Peter's eyewitness that's behind it. And I'm sure that had we been there, we too would have remembered it because so much was going on. So without further ado, let's dive into Mark chapter 5 and I'll read it. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him he shouted at the top of his voice, which I won't do, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of a most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he said, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Now as I read that where did you find your focus was going as you heard the story which by the way is not just a story it's history it really happened and I asked that question where your focus was going because it's so easy I think to find ourselves drawn to focus on the wrong thing it's very easy, isn't it, to be rather fascinated, almost spellbound 
by the extraordinary power and activity of the demons or the impure spirits as they're called. And then it's rather a peculiar picture to think of them entering the pigs and the pigs cascading over the cliffs into the lake. And that's a picture to conjure with as well, isn't it? And then there are the disgruntled pig farmers who have just seen their livelihood plummet. And it's all too easy before we know it to have failed to notice the most wonderful thing, that Jesus has restored a life of hope to a man who had been in dire straits. Let's focus on him. So this man is first introduced to us in verse 2 and described as having an impure spirit. And everything about him is desperate. In fact, it's really rather grotesque and horrific to think of his lifestyle. One commentator calls it eerie. He, he's a casualty, this man. His condition is described to us in such detail, we have to say to ourselves, this is no kind of a life. He's a danger to himself and to everyone else around him. So much so that in the past he's been chained up, although his strength is so huge he's broken the chains. And so now he's ostracised and he finds himself sleeping rough in the tombs. He self-harms and he cries day and night. That's him at the beginning of the encounter. And I'm sure we all agree. That's no kind of a life at all, is it? But later on, by verse 15, he's completely changed. When they, that's the crowd, the pig farmers, came to Jesus, they saw the man, who had been demon-possessed, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And now he's got a whole new life before him, a life of hope, a life among his own people, a life of new purpose, a life full of the mercy of God. And I think, you know, we could say without exaggeration, that was a good day's work for the kingdom of God and for Jesus the King. So what about the middle of the story, the part where the legion of demons come out and enter the pigs? What do we make of all of that? Well, let me cut to the bottom line and tell you what I think. Now, I know that some people will struggle with the whole idea of the existence of the devil and demons. But I want to say that the Bible's teaching on this subject is wholly credible and utterly coherent. In fact, I go further and say it's very difficult to make sense of Jesus's mission and much of what's going on in the world today if we try and airbrush spiritual warfare out of the picture. And I'm not the only one who thinks that. Uh, let me read you a little paragraph of what a man as sane as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, writes about this subject. He, he, by the way, if you don't know of him, is a tremendously qualified doctor. Uh, he practiced in Wales before the Lord called him to be a preacher. And um, this is what he writes in a commentary on Ephesians 6. I suggest that a belief in a personal devil and demon activities is the touchstone by which one can most easily test any profession of Christian faith today. In a world of collapsing institutions, moral chaos and increasing violence, 
It's never been more important to trace the hand of the devil and then not only to learn how to wrestle with his forces, but also how to overcome them by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. If we can't discern the chief cause of our ills, how can we hope to cure them? Well, he wrote that in 1976, but I don't think things have changed much since then. And David Watson, in an excellent little book called Hidden Warfare, writes, There are few subjects which seem to be so little understood as spiritual warfare. Such ignorance plays into Satan's hands. For us to know our enemy and his tactics is the beginning of our sharing in God's victory over him through Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at this uh, incident in just a little bit more detail. And, and I want to highlight a number of points, which is good for us disciples to know so we can follow and be more fruitful and certainly less fearful. Let's notice the authority of Jesus here. And as we've had occasion to note before, and I've no doubt will say again, this is not an equal and opposite battle. This is not two forces slugging it out. Jesus has authority. The demons submit to him and they ask for permission to go into the pigs in verse 13. And then, as we've again noticed before, we can't really have sidestep. A central part of Jesus' mission, by his own definition, was in fact to disarm these very principalities and powers, the powers of darkness. And you can find reference to that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, and in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, where it says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work, or as J.B. Phillips translates it, untangle the devil's work. And in Colossians 2.15, we're told he disarmed the principalities and powers, nailing them to the cross. Now, there are certainly gaps in our knowledge about the spiritual forces of evil. And the reason there are gaps is because the Bible does not tell us all there is to know. But it does reveal to us all that it's good for us to know and all that we need to know. And by the way, it's the Bible that we look to for truth in this area and not to fanciful films like The Exorcist and things like that. Not only do we see the, uh, the fact that Jesus has authority here, but I, I think we also see and need to take on board, there's no need for us to be afraid of the powers of darkness because Jesus has that authority. One of the things I've discovered in moving from place to place as a vicar it is it's quite common for people to come up to me at some point or another and say, oh, do you know there are satanic covens all around this area? Now I'm not saying whether there are or there are not, but there's certainly no need to be afraid even if that is true. There's a, uh, an interesting autobiography of a woman called Doreen Irvin, and she slightly summarizes her story in the name of her book called From Witchcraft to Christ. And in that book, uh, she describes a time when she is rather, rather puzzled, actually, by an encounter that she has with, when two people are walking across what she thinks is her territory. This is what she says. 
the Lord certainly didn't permit his servants, the two people who are walking across, to be harmed because I tried to put curses on them and they didn't work. There was a barrier between my power, the power of fully practicing Satanists, and the men, one of whom she discovers turned out to be a preacher and a believer in Jesus Christ, who she says was a man of great faith and courage. I was puzzled. My powers had never before failed. I had no idea that a far greater power than that of Satan was protecting this man, the mighty power of the Lord Jesus Christ, who conquered death, hell and Satan at a place called Calvary. I also want us to notice here that Jesus didn't go out looking for demons, but on occasion the holiness in him drew them out literally and I think well I know actually this is exactly what can happen today on more than one occasion I, I've been attending a church service when from out of nowhere somebody has started to manifest demons and initially it's quite easy to do what it's easy to do when reading a passage like this to, to allow our attention to get drawn onto this rather unfamiliar activity but I was helped on both occasions when I've seen this happen that the leader of the service said, now look, don't fear, there's some house cleaning going on. And when you think of it that way up, that it's Jesus bringing healing and deliverance, that gives you something to sing and praise about and nothing to fear whatsoever. Point of fact, I can look back and I can remember uh, many, many, many years ago now when I was part of a small team uh, taking a little what we called a mission in those days to a local church somewhere in Oxfordshire and I must have been about 24 and I, I would have thought it was one of the very first talks that I gave and I was giving a talk about the cross and in those days uh, my style was to give a talk with three points and um, to try and make them begin with the same letter but I've been freed from that now you might be pleased to hear and I can remember my three points and they were that on the cross Jesus frees us from sin that's the power of self really isn't it that he frees us from the power of society or the crowd what John in his gospel calls the world and that he frees us from Satan the powers of darkness and in saying that that's a very good traditional orthodox preaching the world the flesh and the devil and they're disarmed on the cross and I gave that talk just because that is scriptural and and that's what we're told Jesus was up to. At the end of the talk, this is where it gets more interesting perhaps, at, at the end of the talk two strapping guys came up to me and uh, they must have been in, in there, I would have thought their early 20s, and they were uh, at a nearby American airbase and they were shaking absolutely uncontrollably. And uh, in dialogue uh, they explained that they hadn't just been dabbling in the occult, they had given themselves over to it pretty much. And in, in listening to this talk, they came forward asking that we could pray that they would be set free from the power of the occult. And I'm glad to say they received appropriate prayer and pastoral support and a lot of help. And they did. They broke free into a new life. Now, why do I mention that? Well, simply to say, had I airbrushed this aspect of Jesus' ministry away from that talk 
Uh, where would they have gone to get free? Jesus came to set the captives free. Well, to round off uh, this session, what about the reaction of the pig farmers and the locals? It's, it's not great, is it? I, I find it rather intriguing that whereas at the beginning of the story, people are dead afraid of the man in the tombs, in verse 15, they're now afraid of, of Jesus and they ask him to leave. A few points uh, as I close tonight. By any reckoning, full-on demonic possession, as is described here, in which someone is so overtaken by demons that their whole personality and behaviour is overrun, that, that has to be very, very, very rare. And I also think it, it's a mistake, would be a mistake, to attribute the man's condition in this story to a known medical and mental health condition uh, today and in so, do, so doing try to expunge all demonic activity from the situation just as it would be a very similar but opposite mistake and error to attribute all mental health conditions that people suffer today to demonic activity. A lot of discernment, care and caution is certainly called for. But we see here Jesus' power to heal knows no bounds. What about the pigs then? Well, um, it's a bit mysterious, isn't it? So a word from the commentator Cranfield might possibly help. If Jesus judged that to grant the demon's request to enter the pigs was the most effective way of assuring the man of a reality of his liberation, then we may suppose that even if he knew what would become of a swine, he would, although none of God's creatures is to be destroyed needlessly or thoughtlessly, count one man as of more value than many swine. So some questions to consider uh, as we discuss this in small groups. Question one, what most struck you about the passage? Question two, what does this passage teach us about Jesus's compassion and authority? And question three, if you have time, the man once freed is told by Jesus to go home and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. What would your story be? <laughs>